0: Financial planning in your 80s, maybe you're not in your 80s, maybe your parents or your grandparents are, and these are the questions you should be asking. How do you work with an advisor in your 80s? What's the best investment allocation? What is the best way to gift? How should you best plan for care expenses? Should you set up charitable strategies? Why you should definitely review your estate plan and why the kids of those in their 80s should be involved in the planning process when it comes to money. We'll address these questions and more on this episode of Through the Pines. All right, welcome to a financial planning podcast with a down-to-earth vibe Sasquatch listens while trimming the tree. This is Through the Pines. Financial planning in your 80s. Um, Aren't you on autopilot by then? So Brandon, I don't know if this was your subject or Rex's or Dan's or a collaborative, but it's a good one because we're talking about those in their 80s.
1: Yeah, I think this is our last decades one. I, I think it was Rex's idea in the first place to do a podcast of every decade and what you should think of. And so this this kind of wraps us up. So thanks for having us on today.
0: Do you have someone in the in their eighties that uh, is in in your family that can listen
1: to this podcast? You know I do. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll have to share it with my grandma.
0: Yeah, that is good. All right, let's dive in. Introducing our guests, our financial planners, are Rex Baxter. Brandon Smith and Dan Nelson, all with planwithbaxter.com. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Uh, Find their services at planwithbaxter.com. If at any time you'd like to open a tab and go to that website, you can do that and listen to the live podcast at the same time. How does your relationship with your advisor change in your 80s? Okay, so this says frequently overlooked. But even if you're working with a 40-year-old advisor, when you retire in your 60s, that advisor is going to be looking at retiring when you're in your 80s. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: How about and, that?
1: And that's the last thing yeah. you want to be doing is advisor shopping in your 80s or 90s.
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay, so what's the plan?
1: Yeah, and and it's it's one that gets overlooked a lot, I think, because, you know, when you're getting ready to retire, rarely are you looking for an advisor in his 20s. You know, or yeah. and, and so... It really, the best way to get or, get around that is have a good team, a team that is consciously building out a, a a plan. For example, I mean, Dan's, you know, been doing this about forty years or over forty years. Rex over twenty five years. Myself over twelve years. And then, you know, we'll probably bring on another advisor in a few years um, to carry on that legacy to to help clients know who they're working with to help people just have that smooth transition. Because, yeah, no single advisor is going to be able to take you from your, you know, 30s all the way into your 80s just by, you know, the nuances of a career.
0: Rex is going to know this one. Rex, uh, it's a romantic comedy where he knows he's going to die, but he leaves all the love letters and then she follows the love letter you know what movie i'm oh, talking yeah. about yeah what's it yeah. called I, I, I just thought of it
2: the name, but
0: yeah. uh, it's a jar butler is it, in love
2: it. Letters? it might be love might letters. be love letters yeah, yeah. <laughs> that.
0: that's how i imagine a financial advisor figure like he was like hey i'm retired i'm out here's all my love letters to you and your finances figured out but rex you don't have to do it that way right
2: well you don't have to do it that way and i think it is interesting you know because we're going through the process of, of Dan retiring over the next, next little while. And so there, there's a lot of, of steps that go into that, but I, I do think that to Brandon's point that as far as having a team that is structured so that you don't, so you don't lose that continuity in all the planning that's gone before. And all of a sudden you have to start brand new when you're in your eighties or later of trying to bring a new advisor up to speed with what you've done before so he doesn't undo everything that you've done. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of different kinds of teams of financial advisory teams out there. And as a, as a consumer or, or an investor, I think it's important for you to know exactly how that team is working that you're working with, because it may turn out that they're just a team in name or just a team of convenience. where you might think that they're all working together and working and communicating about your situation but really you just have a bunch of advisors that are sharing the title on a team name but they're working in silos and not really working together and communicating on your on your information and so i think it's i I think that can't be understated um, that you do want to understand your advisor's succession plan and how he's grooming his team to continue to work with you throughout your entire life and then also through the next generation or the next two generations. You know, I'm working with some clients now to where i would worked with the grandparents who have passed at this point. I'm working with their kids and now I'm working with the grandkids. Um, and, and we've actually now have accounts set up for the great grandkids because we're setting up education accounts and things like that. And so you want that continuity and that history with your financial advisory team.
0: I guess if we back up just a little bit, uh, we, it should be mentioned you're still going to need an advisor in your 80s. In other words, y- y- you still need help? I, you know what, what kind of help are you asking from your advisor in your 80s? Yeah, there,
2: there's a lot of things that still happen in your 80s um, and your 90s as far as financial advisory help. One, you're still investing the money and still still managing it. But lots of times you get into legacy planning and and how that money is going to get passed from one generation to the next and you're refining that legacy that you've started to put in place in your 60s and 70s and and laws change circumstances change family dynamics change and so you want to continue to review and make sure that all those pieces are in place dan you've seen a lot of this over your career as far as as people get into their 80s and and generational wealth and and different kinds of planning issues that people go in through their 80s what is as you think about your clients that are in your 80s and luckily we have a great succession plan and continuity in our team so it's going to be a very smooth smooth transition um, but if it wasn't that situation and you were just handing it off to anybody you know to somebody that that didn't know you didn't know your clients well what kind of of hiccups what kinds of of you know problems do you think might arise from that
3: oh that would be a lot of that would be a lot of issues a lot of problems so this is something that's really important as an advisor uh most of us start this career sometimes after a different career some of us right out of college i started when i was 23 years old 66 now so gone 43 years and uh and so when i first started i had clients that were in their 50s and 40s Uh, a lot of them most of them were that after they started earning a little money and and had some money to invest that's where they are well those same clients are 80 and 90 now and um some cases or passed away and i'm working with the next generation and even a third generation the the process of Making sure you have a advisor that will be with you for a long time is important to a client. So the relationships I have, I've had over the last uh, five or six years, a lot of people, a lot of those clients say, "You can't retire until I die." <laughs> that's kind of funny to think about, but 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 I've had people tell me that, and yeah. I, we would laugh and we would say, "No." you're going to be fine because there will be a plan in place and i've already started that process so rex and i started talking about this many many years ago and now brandon's part of this team with rex and part of my team with me and and so we started this process a long time ago i stepped out of management about a year and a half ago in order to prepare for a retirement process which is going to play take place for me in the next few months and so There is a plan in place. I I have no problem uh, or concerns for my clients that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s now because I know there's a good team and a good succession plan uh, behind me in this process, including our assistants, uh, which which work hand in hand with clients. So it's a really important thing. And so if you're in your 80s, you got to make sure that whoever you're working with is part of a real live team a team that works together that is in contact with each other on a daily basis that you can count on having an advisor there or someone as part of the team to help you at any point in time
0: rex let's go ahead and give yourself a plug tell me why someone um who's in their 80s now and they're they're looking for an advisor i mean and you said it's not ideal to shop for one in your 80s so that's what we're trying to prevent if they're if they're with you now but if they're already in their 80s uh why would why would they come to uh yourself and and your team
2: well i i think because we've done such a great job of our team structure right you have you have dan who's who's now you know in his 60s and 40 years of of experience and so there's very little that that he hasn't seen during his career i have 25 years of experience there's very little i haven't seen during my career and so if you're in your 80s and you're joining our team you know i probably have another 20 years in this business and so if you're in your 80s that's going to put you well over a hundred and so chances are you know I, I myself will see you throughout the rest of your life but certainly brandon will right brandon's in his 30s and and so he's going to see not only you through your life, but he's going to probably see your your adult children um, through their life as well. And then, as Brandon had mentioned, we'll continue to build out this structure um, and we'll end up adding another younger advisor to the team. So that we continue to have advisors laddered out to make sure that we have that continuity for our clients throughout their entire lifetime so that they're never having to start over with an advisor there's so many things that happen in your 80s whether we're dealing with gifting to our kids and grandkids to try and, and avoid estate taxes whether we're dealing with long-term care expenses and and what is our plan with that? are we utilizing insurance and transferring the risk? are we utilizing our assets? Um, you know but what is the plan? For that, whether it be charitable gifting strategies um, that we're that we're implementing, um, you know, whether we're trying to teach lessons with kids as far as investing and managing money and 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 kind of becoming financially strong, so there's there's so many things. Then on top of that, you have all the the emotional dynamics of of changing your investment strategies to where a lot of our clients have amassed significant assets to where we start investing on their kids, um, risk tolerance and timeframes, as opposed to the client, as opposed to the 80 year old, the 80 year old will probably never spend all of the money. And so a portion of that, we start having the ability to take on additional risk or to take on additional timeframes and, and so working and and having to start over with all of those pieces, um, really could prove a nightmare. for for your parents or grandparents that are in their 80s. And so working with a team like ours that has has put some forethought into the structure to make sure that we have that continuity for you and your loved ones, I think is an enormous competitive advantage for us.
0: Uh, What does the asset allocation look like? You sort of touched on it in that last answer, Rex, but um, you're in your 80s. And so how do you, what does your portfolio look like?
2: I think every client's can be very unique, but most of our clients that are in retirement, um, in their 80s, typically we've got a fair amount of of safe assets to make sure that we're meeting the daily needs, daily spending, the traveling, whatever it is that they're wanting to do, and that can be everything from you know money markets to you know CDs to to short-term bonds, government bonds, treasury bonds, different things like that. And, and then typically we've got a portion of their assets that continue to grow so that we can then outpace inflation. And so that's, that's typically where we're at, but somewhere in that 80s, normally their mindset shifts and normally they start to, to recognize that, Hey, you know, half of this or three quarters of this, I'm never going to spend. Um, I'm just not spending that much of it. And I don't have a desire to spend it. I have a desire more to pass it on. And so then we start saying, well, for that portion, Maybe we can take on some additional risk for that portion of the accounts and and start investing with a back to a longer time horizon instead of a five or ten year time horizon. We can go to a twenty or thirty year time horizon on those assets
0: What is gifting uh, what's what, legally when you're <laughs> when you're uh, old enough to or or can you do it at any time but when you're in your eighties um, what how do you gift money to Family, friends, uh, nonprofits—that kind of thing.
2: Well, there's there's gift limits, and so um, you're limited to gift roughly sixteen thousand, and it it adjusts every year. So right now it's sixteen thousand dollars per person per year. And so Brandon, for instance, I could gift you sixteen thousand dollars this year, and my wife could gift you sixteen thousand dollars this year. And so as a couple, we could gift you thirty-two thousand dollars this year. I've been waiting. That's, <laughs> have you? Yeah. <laughs> you just pretty pretty sure it checks in the mail. Um, <laughs> so, I you know, I, that's without having to file a gift tax form. With if, if you give more than sixteen thousand dollars, then then you have two two options basically. You can fill out a gift tax form, and it's it's taxable roughly at the forty percent tax rate um, above and beyond that. So that doesn't sound very fun to a lot of people, and then. Or you can use your unified credit, um, which is is roughly your your exemption, your death tax exemption, of a million dollars. But you have to track that on your on your tax forms every year, and so and report that to the IRS so that you don't go over that lifetime gifting exemption amount. And so we try and utilize that because there are some things where it makes a lot of sense to gift early if it's gonna, you know, appreciate a lot over the rest of your life, so that we we essentially get it out of your state to avoid estate taxes or death taxes. But when we're giving to individuals, those are kind of the limits. If we're gifting to charity, then obviously there are no limits. You can give as much as you want to charity. Mm-hmm. Um it may or may not be deductible on your taxes depending upon different income limits and, and tax law. Uh but you can gift as much as you want to charity. So
0: okay. Uh moving on to taking care of yourself, I guess. Um the the cost involved with uh, care centers, facilities that uh, you may need to enter later, um, and, and how does that affect your family and how's how that stuff structured?
1: Yeah, with, with, so long-term care, the, the primary concern with a, with a care facility or, or, or what's often called a long-term care expense is that that one spouse will go into a care facility, and that, that can range in cost. I mean, anywhere between 3000 8000 and even more per month um at the care facility while the other spouse lives at home and and continues to want to heat the house, want to, you know, drive and and so your your costs really aren't changed very much on the home front. And then meanwhile the other spouse is in a care facility and you start distributing, you know, two two times or three times as much as you were planning on. And man, that can really that can hurt a financial plan. That can go from hey, we were planning on living on you know six thousand dollars a month and now all of a sudden we're distributing twelve thousand you can only do that for so long before a plan runs out of money and then you know often what happens is is the spouse in the care facility passes away and then the surviving spouse is left with nothing and so that's that's what we're concerned about that that's the major concern if you're single that that concern's still there but not as big right because if you deplete all your assets. First of all, it takes longer because you've got your own Social Security to go towards it and everything else, but let's say you do deplete all your retirement savings, equity in your house, then you can go on to Medicaid, and Medicaid from that point picks up the rest of the bill, and so although that's not an ideal scenario, it's also not devastating to a surviving spouse. And so if, you know, as we plan for that, you know, in your eighties, there's not a lot of options. There is such a thing as long-term care insurance or people will buy life insurance with long-term care and those work, they're just a little bit expensive. And so we can look at those and see if that makes sense. But for the most part, people love doing the self-insurance where we save a little bit more into retirement accounts so that the accounts are able to distribute more in the event that we needed a long-term care. So how, how
0: can, how is it best or when should um, the the children of a parent in, in their 80s start planning for, for that and putting money away to maybe assist with long-term care?
1: Yeah, planning for it starts a lot earlier, right? Yeah. Planning for it should start, you know, in your accumulation years while you're working and building up those extra assets. If you find yourself in the spot, though, where you're in your 70s or your 80s and and that Is coming, then you can kind of, you know, there's there's a couple things you can do. You can position, you know, maybe kind of cut down on expenses to save a little bit more up. Um, You can also look at alternatives, you know, having kids come in and help with some of the care, having maybe a a nurse come by the house rather than, you know, living in a care facility. Sometimes spouses will help um, care. Uh, You can also work with estate planning attorneys if there's a time frame in in there where you're like hey you know we don't have a care an imminent care need right now but down the road years down the road we think this is going to happen and there's some trust work that can be done although that that gets a little bit more complex
0: hmm. okay rex dan you have comments on the on the preparation for the care facilities
2: yeah i think on on the care side you know like brandon had mentioned a lot of the planning starts in your forties and fifties and sixties, because if you're going to, to transfer that risk to an insurance company, that that's where the sweet spot for the insurance premiums are is as much earlier in life. It's, it's very expensive to go through underwriting when you're in your eighties. Nobody wants to insure you when you're in your eighties, because it's, it's a bad bet for insurance companies. And so if, if you find yourself in your eighties, then, then we need to, to look at how are we going to do this? Are we going to sell a house? Are we going to, you know, leverage other investments? What, what are we going to do? And are we wanting to stay in the house? Are we wanting to, to hire full-time help, um, round-the-clock care in the house, which can run, you know, 10 dollars dollars $16,000 a month um, for round-the-clock care in the house? And and we have some clients that choose to do that. They have the assets and, and have done a good job planning, and, and they... They just want to stay in their home. We have other clients that, that want a more active lifestyle earlier. And so they go into retirement centers and, and you know, get, you know, some social benefits that way. Um, I think the the other piece on, on the 80s and insurance is lots of times if we did the planning in our 50s and 60s and 70s, some of that planning may have gotten a little bit murky by the time we're in our eighties. And we may remember pieces of what we put in place or the highlights, but it's good to review that. It's good to review those those insurance plans regularly. And not only with you, but with the spouse and with the kids, because chances are, it's not you that's going to be you know, actually executing on that life insurance policy. And so your kids need to understand, is there a 60 day waiting period? Is there a 90 day waiting period? how many of the active daily living activities or ADLs do I have to fail, which is, you know, transferring, toiletry, cleaning, bathing, eating, um, those kinds of things. But how many of those do I have to fail before the life insurance or the the long-term care insurance policy will kick in? And these are all things that we need to be communicating, again, to that next generation down because they're the ones that are going to step in and do that. And so, in our 80s, typically we're doing more family meetings—you know, once a year or once every other year—to make sure that your trustees are up to date, that they know where your healthcare directives are, that they know where your powers of attorney are, um, make sure that they understand where your assets are, thing, things of that nature. So, I think it's really important that you do family meetings with your key trusted people that are going to take on those roles as we get into our 80s dan other thoughts
3: yeah the key the key to the whole thing i believe is is what we've all said brandon said it uh rex said it you you just have to plan for it you should have a plan a plan b plan c plan d in other words what happens if with mom if she falls or what happens if she just gets sick Uh, uh, what are what are our plans the kids the family all even grandkids need to be involved at some point in time. in in a lot of cases, to help out in certain areas. And everybody has this issue. Uh, It's not just uh, people that that don't have money or people that have a lot of money. It's an issue for a family, no matter what, because we all naturally age and get to the point where we can't do uh, some of the things that we used to do. I've often said that you don't remember who came to your first birthday party, and your last birthday party. And uh so so someone else has to be there to plan both of those birthday parties for you. You know, and so and so that's the natural part of life. And uh the plan the, the main idea is that you plan for it with your family.
1: That was awfully bleak. <laughs> well,
3: I do I, I was uh, I was I just went to my grandson's first year. Uh, birthday party last week and he had no idea who was there yeah he doesn't know who you are huh dad <laughs> he was smiling he was he was, <laughs> he having was fun. smiling Somebody else planned it for him well you
0: know? i gotta listen to i was privileged enough to listen to uh, a chat by tammy sloan uh we, we're in utah so the um coach sloan's wife when who he was married to when when he died and she retold the story where I think he fell, slipped on some ice, and and broke his arm. And there was very little health issues prior. But then he went under like a general anesthesia to fix the fix the broken arm, and that triggered an underlying disease. And it wasn't long after that until he needed care, care. And so it can happen where they're healthy one minute and not the next. It doesn't matter who who they are, you know. So uh, and I thought it was a it was a pretty interesting story how. Fast it happened, right. um, which was which is kind of scary. So that planning has to happen in advance. Um, Rex, let's pretend we want to give all of our money away. Uh, <laughs> we we have all we have.
2: I'm I'm checking my accounts right now. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're really, well,
0: out. I know you're giving me some, so that was really <laughs> oh. thoughtful of you. Uh, the the charitable aspect of giving when you are in your 80s and 90s, of just giving that money to the charities that you are passionate about. Uh, why should you do it, and and how does it benefit you know other than just being nice and giving money to th- things you care about? Does it how does it benefit you financially?
2: Well, I think anytime we're we're giving money away, you know, it's a very personal decision by a client because they obviously worked very hard for this money and it's stressed and and you know over it over all the years. And so, typically, when they decide to give the money away, whether it be to kids, grandkids, charity, you know, family charitable foundation, whatever the case may be. Typically, they've got a fairly strong core belief of what they want to accomplish with that. The, the problem is typically they just, they, sometimes it's hard to articulate that. Sometimes it's hard to, to put that into words, what really you're, you're wanting to do. And so a, a big part of that is us talking to them, figuring out what exactly you're trying to do, and then what's the best avenue to do that in. And so that's, that's what we're looking at when we're looking at the, the financial ramifications of giving money, there's, there's, it, a lot of it comes down to what you want, you know, how we're going to do it. Uh, there's the, obviously the investment side to, do we still control the investments or does the, uh, the, the person receiving the funds control the investments Do do we get a tax break today <clears throat> or do we get a tax break over a long period of time? does the gift happen today or does the gift happen upon my passing or upon some event? You know, there's, there's a lot of estate planning pieces that go into this and a lot of acronyms that we touched on just briefly in our estate planning podcast a while ago. But, you know, we talked about T class you know, testamentary charitable lead annuity trusts and testamentary charitable remainder annuity trusts, all these different, you know, tools that we utilize for the gifting process depend on what we're trying to do and each one of them has very specific financial pieces to it as far as the tax write-offs or or the growth and how that growth accrues or who gets to benefit from that for how long in the time period and does the asset come back into the family does the asset not does it you know stay in the family and then at some date and time it goes over to the charity and so the charity has an interest in it, but no receipt for 10 or 20 years. And so it's it's a very complex issue that we deal with, with our top, you know, 10, 20% of our clients to try and figure out what the best avenue is. Yeah, Does that or, make sense?
0: Because Eccles are huge in Utah. If you had any idea of how they're they're structured or how they do their,
1: all their charitable giveaways... It's a very complex structure. I can tell you that. A, <laughs> <laughs> one one thing with w- with donations, I th- I feel like a lot of times people think, uh, you know, wealthy people give donations for the tax benefits. Um, but the reality is is that if you give money away, even you're never going to get a hundred percent benefit back. Right. Like like you give that away and you're getting a tax benefit and that might help you, you know, that might be a 25 or even a 50 percent tax benefit. But ultimately, I mean, if the goal here is to retain and spend more money, charitable donations are never, never like going to be your your golden, um, your golden bullet. However, if you're already going to give money to a charity, maybe it's a church, maybe it's a charity that you 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 know regularly donate to, you know there's ways that we can that we can donate to those charities more efficiently. For example, we can we can send money out of an IRA directly to those charities and so it's never recognized as tax to you. Now, of course, you would have been better to take that money straight out of your IRA, pay taxes on it, and spend the remainder. But if you're already going to donate to these charities because you believe in it, because you want to help out, um, then then there's more efficient ways to do it where we can end up giving more money to the charities rather than to the government and so i think that's where the planning comes in because there's a lot of different strategies and a lot of different ways we can do that and so ultimately we need to sit down and say all right wh- what do you want what do you want to do how much money do you want to give to these charities and and then you know let us try and figure out what what an efficient way might be to do that dan did you have any comments on charitable giving
3: you know, it's, uh, it's something that most people do. They have a cause or something they believe in. And uh, once you get 72, uh, the best way, the way I'm planning on doing it is through my IRA. Instead of taking the money out of my IRAs and paying taxes, I'm planning on donating that stock to, it's usually appreciated stock, hopefully, uh, to a charity. And so more people do that, and that's a great way to do it. Something you need to have a... Financial planner,
0: you need to have help to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, Rex, I don't know if I've got three options in my head. One, you didn't get a whole heck of a lot of sleep. Two, you have a cold. Or three, it was like an all nighter at the casino because. The the voice is a little rough today.
2: (laughs) Yes. Let's just say yes. (laughs) Yes to all three. (laughs) No casino. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My kids decided to bring home and share. You know, we've taught we've worked with our kids a lot over the years about sharing and sharing is caring. (laughs) Yeah. And and all those kinds of things. And they one of them decided to share a little scratchy throat with me. Scratchy throat, okay. Feeling great, but I definitely have a little bit deeper you know, voice here
0: today. So. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad you feel okay then. Um, yeah. well let's Brandon, let's, let's bring you in here because you've mentioned you've already got an estate plan and you're in your thirties. And so, um, talk to me about the importance of estate plan and planning and, and what happens in your eighties.
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, The answer is always it depends with this stuff. And it depends because I've seen people who've put together an estate plan, you know, in their 60s and they just carried that. rest of their life and it it was good right nothing really changed on the family front nothing you know there weren't any dramatic changes it's still a good idea to review that estate plan every three to five years go through it make sure that the people that you listed as successor trustees right to take and and manage things after you're gone that they're still you know alive that they're willing to do it that they're capable of doing it um that they're still you know on your good list (laughs) Whatever whatever it may be right it's important to review um, but then I've seen others where things change. You know, kids uh, pick up bad habits or, or, or addictions or, you know, and, and the purpose of an estate plan is to efficiently pass your assets from you to your kids. And, and usually it's to most benefit those kids. However, that is right. If, if they are a great person, but just spend every dollar that they ever touch, then maybe we kind of control how that distribution is made. Right. Or maybe you don't care and you say, hey, let them have the greatest year of their life. And then, you know, they can go back to the <laughs> life as it was before. Yeah. And, and it really, you know, there isn't a right or wrong answer. It just depends on, you know, what you want. And so that's why we say, you know, review it every three to five years, read through it. If you were to pass away today or over the next three years you know, how does that look? Is, is that going to be what you would want to have happen with your money? And if so, great. If not, then we might need to amend it, right? We go to an attorney, they can make some changes on it. Um, that usually doesn't cost too much. Um, other times, if, if we're a whole overhaul, right, we need to change everything, then then we'll just write a whole new trust.
0: Dan, as you get closer to retirement, what's your what's your thoughts heading in, in into not having to work and then looking at your estate plan?
3: So I just have my estate plan uh, updated uh, just this year, actually Mm -hmm. four or five months ago. Uh, And I did that in preparation for retirement. Um, I have a list of 12 or 15 things that I'm gonna plan on doing. And uh, part of it is is charity related, uh, uh, volunteering, uh, that type of thing, but it's important that uh, everybody has to have an estate plan with, with Brandon and and for instance, his age, the most important part of that estate probably is what happens to his kids. If something happens to him and his wife, well, I don't have that issue. Now My kids are raised, (laughs) they all have their own kids. And so that's not the most important part of my estate plan. Uh, my, the most important part of my estate plan is, is how do I distribute it to the causes that I care about and my wife cares about and. How do we distribute it down through our family in a good manner so that we don't ruin any of their lives by giving them too much money at the wrong time in their life or not enough or whatever it might be so that they can have a good, happy life and uh, make good decisions, I guess. So that's how I view the estate plan.
0: Rex, if you make it all the way to your 80s and you don't have an estate plan yet, that can still be done, right?
2: Well, I I love estate planning, right? I mean, this is truly a passion of mine, is estate planning. Everybody has an estate plan, period. Everybody has an estate plan. The question is, are you going to control it and you decide what your estate plan is, or are you going to let the government control it and you're going to just go with the default government estate plan?
0: Yeah, I totally trust them to make the right decision. in all the things so yeah
2: they right in every aspect of your life yeah, 100%. When it deals with money they and, they really the get me yeah, they, 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 yeah. They, get. <laughs> they really understand who brand of money yeah, they, they, yeah. They do, yeah. <laughs> comes across their desk so, all the time yeah but everybody honestly everybody has an estate plan right yeah. and and if you die without a will or you die without you know then it's called you know dying intestate and, and there's specific law that happens, it's public, right? And so you're going to, you know, you're going to bury yourself in front of, you know, the entire world or anybody that wants to, wants to look into it as to what's going on and people can contest it. People can drag it out. And, and so you may end up none of your money going anywhere that you wanted it to go, hmm. but everybody has an estate plan. The question is, are you going to control it? Yeah. And And I think that in your eighties, you know, by then you certainly have reached a mature enough age (laughs) that you can, you know, do your estate plan yourself and control it. The the other thing that I find is, is frequently in your eighties, a lot of people haven't reviewed their estate plan for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. And so I was reviewing one here just maybe a couple months ago. And, and there were two things in the estate plan that kind of caught me off guard. One, it was that there was a certain amount of money going to a pet that had passed on, you know, 13 years ago. Yeah. And, and I just love the, the pet made there. it
0: in the estate plan. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. The so, pet made it in yeah. it was a loved
2: pet, for yeah. sure. Um, but it was still in the estate plan and there wasn't a clause in there. It wasn't written as to what happens if the pet had gone. Mm. And so it just left some of the money just in limbo um and which causes additional legal work and expense and time at the end as to how do we deal with this um and so that that gets a little bit nebulous Then the other one was that they had had a a nephew in the estate plan and since then the nephew has kind of written off the family Mm -hmm. and and this particular client had kind of written off the nephew and and yet the nephew is standing to inherit you know, a third of the estate. And in this case, it was significant amounts of money. All of a sudden, and their so, family again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so we wanted to make sure that, that that got cleaned up. And and so I think it is important every three to five years, just to review it, get it out, read it, make sure that the, the you know, people that are going to be controlling it, the successor trustees, and, you know, typically that goes down two or three steps are in place, make sure that You know who the money's going to still makes sense for what you want to do, and and when you want it to go to them, uh, makes sense as well. So,
1: this is a perfect time. Sounds good. For a shameless plug, check your beneficiaries (laughs) on your 401k plans, on your IRA plans, on everything else, because it it, always there's some time. I think Rex, you were sharing there was someone this year that um, had a not so pleasant experience.
2: Yeah, I mean there's there's there was one this year that I think a first wife after being married three times inherited the funds because they were the beneficiary of the 401k plan and he just never got around to changing it and so wife two that was the mother of one or two kids and and wife three that was his current wife of 10 plus years received zero mm. right and kids received zero yeah and wife one was elated Wife one, you know so it remains to be seen if she decides to do anything else with that but uh but anyway it is every year there's somebody that we're surprised by because every year we we really hammer check your beneficiaries make sure they're updated make sure that you know if if you have individual beneficiaries that you know they're they're updated you have contact information if we have a trust make sure you understand why we have a trust listed as a beneficiary and and what the financial consequences of that may or may not be if we have a, a trust listed.
0: Brandon, you know what time it is? Time for small numbers? More numbers.
1: Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I know. I thought you were leading me into that earlier when you're like, sharing? Brandon, I was like, oh, oh share small. Anyway, mm. No, and no, this is, this is a good one. National Association of Realtors um, came out, and, and uh, it was interesting. The, the, the first time home buyers reached a record low this last year, which I, I think, you know, makes sense. So on, on this one, the age, or sorry, the age of the age of the first time home buyer reached an all time high. And I think the the buyers were low. So anyway, 26% oh. of all buyers this year were first time home buyers. And that's compared to last year was 34% mm-hmm. were first time. I, I mean, that's crazy where you go from 34% down to 26% and and obviously i mean given the cen- scenario you know with with rising interest rates and 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 high cost of housing i mean it, it's really really a hard conundrum but but yeah interesting stats on that does Don't, it
0: what's the average age of the first time home buyer does it say
1: yeah um, typical first time home buyer was 36 years old which is up from Ooh. 33 years old so so age is going up and it, it's it's a hard environment Yeah, so buying a house in your 20s is not easy no no and and it's a hard nut to crack I, that's why we had that recent pod, podcast you know with the where we you know had a realtor on and and talked through, you know how if you're in a hard place how do you get into a house and and i don't know that there's any perfect answer but mm-hmm. but man it's 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 a rough landscape mm-hmm. out there
0: uh rex do you think that'll get better next year
2: i don't think it will get i don't think that's that stat will get better next year mm. um i think you know, we probably have a couple more interest rate hikes to go during this interest rate cycle, and so that's gonna that's gonna be a little more difficult for people to afford their first home. Um, I I anticipate prices to come down slightly on homes, but we'll see. Um, but I don't think it'll be overly significant on on the housing prices. If they drop, it'll be minor, and not enough to offset the higher interest rates. So so this next year, I'm not anticipating that stat to change. I think in 2024, we probably will begin to see that stat reverse and and go the other direction. But I think this next year is going to continue to be a challenging year for first time home buyers.
0: What what about, because this is for our, our friends in their 80s and 90s, and they're leaving property to their kids who potentially may be in their 20s. How good of an idea is that?
2: Ooh, biggest mistake. Um, one of the biggest, not, <laughs> yeah. sorry, not leaving <laughs> oh, wow. house to your kids isn't the biggest mistake, I <laughs> just spoke. but one of the biggest mistakes that I see of people in their 80s, and typically it's late 80s when I see this, is they will just add their son or daughter's name to the title on the house, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, thinking that, oh, this is going to make it really simple um, for, for me to transfer the ownership of the house.
1: And it does and make it I'm, simple.
2: It does make it simple, but there are there are definitely a couple of, of consequences to okay. that. The, the first consequence is, how much earlier in this discussion did we talk about that we could gift without a gift tax?
0: 16.
2: Right, and so typically if you put somebody's name on your house, you're essentially giving them half of your house value, right? So if you have a million dollar house, then effectively you just gave that person five hundred thousand dollars. So and do they need so, to
0: they need to claim that on their taxes that year?
2: Yeah. Well they're they, supposed to.
0: And they forget, I'm sure. So then when do they find out? <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. sure they forget. Forget. Um, well <laughs> or they, well or just, or just not know. know. And yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: And so that, that happens frequently, right? And so if they end up getting audited, then that could be an issue and either they would have to claim their their part of their lifetime exemption, which is possible, right? To do or they would have to pay the, the gift tax, the, you know, roughly 40% gift yeah. tax on that $500,000 in that situation. Right. Yeah. So, so that's the first consequence that, that, most people aren't aware of. The second is that when you pass away, you get a step up in cost basis on, on your assets. And so if, if as a parent, if you bought that as an 80 year old, if you bought that house for a long time ago, 50 years ago, and you paid $40,000 for that house, and today that house is worth you know five six seven eight hundred thousand dollars today then when you pass away <clears throat> you get a step up in cost from forty thousand to the current value of that house thus avoiding having to pay capital gains on the cell for that entire amount but if you give it to your child and you put your name on there then essentially they, you also give them your cost basis of Mm. $40,000. And so then if you go to sell the house or they go to sell the house after you pass away, they don't get a step up in basis. Mm. And so now they're paying capital gains on the entire increase from 40,000 up to that $800,000 house. Mm. Um, and so that's a significant financial, you know, pain, if you will, cost or, or mistake if you decide to do that. so what, And a lot of people do that. This is a very common mm-hmm. mistake we see of people doing in their eighties.
0: Yeah, so what's the best way to transfer a, a home that's paid off to kids, um, probably multiple, three, four, five kids or whatever, what's the best way to, to make sure if say one of the kids wants to keep it in the family?
2: So, So if it's titled in the trust, <clears throat> right, then You can live there, right? As, as the 80 year old parent, you can live there as long as you want. And then when you're done, you've got the successor trustee at that point that can, can manage that for your benefit while you're living. And then when you pass, then they get the step up in basis. And then at that point they can sell it. They can, you know, negotiate with the other kids to see if one of them wants to buy it or whether one of the kids, it's their inheritance. And the other kids are splitting cash and investments. There's lots of ways to do that, but that's the best way to to probably avoid the the gift tax or the cap, the lack of capital gains and and step up in basis. Yeah. Taxes.
0: This is why you talk to the professionals, folks. Bring them in because we don't always know the consequences or the questions to ask, and that's why uh, you guys exist. So, uh, very important. Okay, so uh, let's lastly here take us out. Why are we involving the kids? And this is part of it. You know, maybe one wants, maybe they're all assuming that three, all three kids don't care about this house. And then suddenly one of them does care. And so when, when you're setting up your, your financials and you're talking about your financials in your, in your 80s, you know, when do you bring the kids in? Rex, you want to start?
2: Sure. So I think you bring the kids in fairly early. Um, Lots of times we'll bring the kids in later in our seventies. Um, for the first time and start to start to go through the basics of the estate plan with them. Lots of times we won't go through detailed finances with them just yet, but typically we'll start there. I think there's lots of examples that both, you know, Dan and Brandon can share of families. You know, one of the main reasons that families fall apart is due to lack of communication is mom and dad didn't tell the kids what the plan is. And, and if you want that, then then that's going to be an issue.
1: Yeah, Brandon. Yeah, and and when we say kids, I mean if you're in your 70s or your 80s, kids are you know in their 50s and 60s. <laughs> right, um, right. 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 Uh, but but I mean, it's also important. It depends on the depends on the situation, obviously. Um, but it, I've I've watched as people have inherited money or have um, you know been given money. And haven't had any investment experience, right? And you have these, you know, the parents who have been through the storms, right? They've been through the financial downturns, the ups, and they are like a captain on the ship, just sailing right through it, and 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 it, you know, long term, make great decisions. But then, man, you you turn you turn over the the helm to, sorry, all the sailing, for all the sailing. Um, (laughs) Can you tell he owns a sailboat? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) You you turn it over to, to, you know, someone who doesn't have that experience. Maybe they've done a little bit in the 401k, but all of a sudden, you know, a a big downturn comes and they're thinking, holy cow, I've got to protect this, right? Like, and how am I going to protect that? Well, I'm going to sell it and then I'm going to try and buy it. I'm, you know, they start doing all sorts of different stuff and, and you can help you know, kind of help the the next generation understand how investing works and that, hey, we've been through this, right? And this is how we get through it. And these are the do's and these are the don'ts and and helping and involving kids can help them down the road as they start, you know, investing for themselves.
0: I feel like next, months podcast every time you talk you have to include a A sailing sailing metaphor you got it you You have to figure that out (laughs) uh dan you it's sort of a cheat code with your kids because your kids grew up with a a financial planner at the helm there in your family but how much how much did you bring him in when did you bring him in have they been along the whole time you know what how how are they involved with your financials as you get set to retire and move on to the next stage of, of life you no know, they're,
3: they're, they're not involved over a long time but they have been involved recently especially my oldest son who's going to be the uh the executor for my trust but let me just talk for a second about my the next generation up my father my father-in-law uh who are in there are in their 80s and one of the most important things that i think that they should do or you should do when you're in your 80s is, first of all, you have an estate plan and you talk about the big stuff, the money and all of that. But what about the watch, the ring? What about the cars that are in the garage that are brand new maybe in some cases? What about the, the, the uh, favorite painting uh, or something that's important to the whole family that they've seen for years and years and years as they visited your house? how how do you how do you distribute that or how do you plan for that? You need to make a list of those things that are special to you that mean something to you because they probably mean something to somebody else. Mm. I don't know how many times we've heard stories about dad promised me that. Well, no, he promised me that. And then the third daughter, he promised me that. and and that's where problems come into play with, Not necessarily the big estate plan issues or big, big items or money. In some cases, sometimes it's just the little things. Yeah, It's might be his watch or his ring or his four rings or whatever it might be. And how do you distribute that needs to be a plan for that needs to be
0: written down.
2: So everybody's aware of it.
0: Excellent discussion today. Rex, did you have anything else?
2: No, I think that that is the biggest issue is that we, in estate planning, we call that a schedule A and that's what people have to fill out on their own because it's personal property. And it's, it's like Dan said, the rings, the guns, the trucks, the cars, the, you know, the sentimental things. And, and that's where feelings get hurt. And, and that's where you'll see, you know, brothers and sisters harbor resent, um, resentment for the rest of their lives against their other siblings. And, and, you know, almost every parent that we meet with, one of their biggest things, you know, important issues that they bring to us is, I just want to make sure that my kids are happy. I just want to make sure that they get along. I want to make sure that they're still getting together when I'm gone and that they're there for each other. And, and unbeknownst to them, to the 80 year olds, the, the very thing that they want they're creating conflict in by not designating these things in writing for those kids and communicating it clearly to them yeah but because they typically take the the mindset well i'll be gone let them figure that out they can draw names they can do whatever they want they'll figure it out and that'll work out and it doesn't work out (laughs) i mean i'm laughing
0: but i'm i'm the draw names thing oh man that is not going to go well i don't think at all (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's hard. We've seen that in trust. We've seen, yeah. you know, flip coins. We've seen draw numbers, oh. trust draws. We've seen all kinds of things. Yeah,
0: so. that does not sound um, that, that that sounds like trouble waiting to happen. I, I had yeah.
1: one one client that said she was going to take a bunch of money out of the bank print it and like hide it all throughout the house and just have a giant treasure hunt okay which i thought was a great idea sure then i've heard other ones where where that's what it turned into right where all the kids were just scavenging through clothes and through things Uh to try and find valuables and and emotionally that was very hard you know for some people to watch and 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 i get it and so yeah i think it's it's easy to from a 10,000 foot level be like, they're all gonna be happy, I'm leaving them all this money, but not realize the nuances. Yeah. And especially after you've lost someone, it, it can be really hard. So I think, you know, focusing on that planning and focusing on working with professionals and focusing on making sure everything's just in line, it goes a long, long way.
0: We ha- I mean, it. it's just a, just a story, but we had uh, an uncle pass where um, we were, you go to the house and it's, it is the weird small <laughs> things, Rex, like you said, they, that uh, his son, found a like a stanley lunchbox that we you, he used and uh me thinking that the son was not too happy with the dad at the time was not going to want this so i'm like oh yeah i'll take it and turns out he really wanted that lunchbox you know and it wasn't it was like oh yes i mean it's your dad you know like t- take it it's yours but that it's those little things like that that you never know Like could turn into big fights in the family and then you're and then you're in trouble
2: yeah and nobody wants to talk about it right because we're talking about our own mortality we're talking about death and and kids don't want to think about their parents being dead and and parents know that that's a hard discussion for their for their kids and and so nobody wants to talk about it it's like the elephant in the room yeah and yet the reality is the more we talk about it the smoother that is for everybody yeah and and it is just part of the circle of life it's going to happen to all of us sooner or later and so you might as well just talk about it and just throw it on the table and let's just have that discussion. That's the only way I know how to deal with people is we throw it on the table. We talk about it and we figure it out. So
0: Rex, your job is to have uncomfortable conversations. Is that what you're saying?
2: (laughs) That's you know, I think that I'm going to work that into a tagline somehow. I think that's great. You know, our team is great at having uncomfortable conversations.
0: Yep, that's good. (laughs) I like it and making them sound comfortable. So uh, Brandon, thanks so much. Dan, thanks for joining us, Rex. Listen, the phenomenal advice, and they've got years of experience, so um to help you. If you you have someone in your family who's in your 80s, you're listening to this podcast and you are in your 80s, first of all, thank you, because that's pretty sweet if you are. Um, but most likely you're probably younger and, you're, and your mom or dad or grandparent is in their 80s and needs to hear this. So Plan With Baxter, it's free, right, Rex? They can just call you and they don't have to Absolutely. pay anything? Okay. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Like our Facebook page. Keep up on the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at pines underscore podcast and subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can see our wonderful, beautiful faces on the YouTube at Through the Pines podcast. This has been Through the Pines reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams.